today's scripture passage is Luke 17, 11 through 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, uh, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with the signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Good morning. We are in chapter 1 of the book of Romans. We are in a very important part where he has described or is describing the gospel message. Today is going to be a great day. We are going to prove that evolution is wrong. Matter of fact, we're going to go the other way. We're going to say that de-evolution is happening. And this passage, I think, will prove that. Evolution says that things are getting better and better and better. The passage we're looking at says just the opposite. So we're having a good time going through the principles of Paul's gospel message. And it began with last week talking about the wrath of God. Today, his second point is going to be creation. Creation. So we're going to have a good time. Let's uh, pray and get our hearts ready for the message this morning. Father, thank you for this passage of your word. Thank you, Father, for uh, what it proves and how it points to you. Thank you, Father, for creation and all that you have provided for this world to show your invisible attributes. Thank you, Father. Give us insight into your word, and more importantly, Father, how the word applies to our lives or how it applies to the people we meet this week. And I pray, I ask this in your, in your son's name, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, last week we looked at a number of things about the wrath of God. In verse 18, we talked about the biggest problem in the world is that you are a child of wrath. Child of wrath. We said there are two options for a child of wrath. The first option is placing the wrath that you deserve upon a substitute 
Jesus Christ who went to a cross to take your wrath away. Or option two, continue being deceived that there is no wrath of God. So either you come up with a reason that there's no wrath to exist or to deal with, or you place that wrath upon a substitute. We said there are two options for children of wrath in the future. Option one was to be at peace with God and receive a reward. Or option two, to be angry with God and abide forever in the wrath of God. Now, for both of those options, there is a positive and a negative. I think any person would say they want to be at peace with God rather than being under the wrath of God. So now we come to verse 20. Verse 20 tries to clarify things and give us a little bit more understanding about the wrath of God and how it affects our lives. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Without excuse. First question. Always the hardest, most difficult. What can a sinner learn from general revelation? What can a sinner learn from general revelation? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes. Number one. There is an invisible creator of the material world that we live in. There is an invisible creator that made the created world that we live in. Four. First word connects with the previous verses that we studied last week. The wrath of God. This builds upon the wrath of God. It explains why or what God made plain. The view is the wrath of God, which is being revealed against the wicked, and how the wicked is guilty because they do not experience or relate to general revelation. Creation. The first aim of the Creator was to make for Himself a way for the creation to know God. To know God. God's known by the material universe which he formed. We call it natural revelation. God reveals himself through this creation. Through nature. And a continual display of who, (laughs) that there is a creator. General revelation uses no words, but is a powerful testimony of the universal goodness of God. Now, the problem is, with general revelation, it can be easily misinterpreted. And we've seen this throughout the ages. We have seen this in every culture. We've seen this in every village and town in the world. How general revelation has been misinterpreted. But the point of general revelation is to know that there's a creator. And to know 
the graciousness or the goodness of that creator. And that is why you get to understand the invisible attributes by the physical creation of the world. Paul's making a play on his words here. From invisible to making it clearly seen. Invisible things of God, spiritual moral attributes of God, are brought within the range of man's mental vision through the conception being gained by reflection upon the things that have been made. So, God has created this world. So that if you sit down and you think about creation, if you study creation, you should be able to come up with an understanding that this world is made by a creator. And if you can figure out that it's made by a creator, you want to know who the creator is. And therefore, you need more information. And you want to know that so that you can get out of being a child of wrath. So, you have been given, through this natural revelation of the world, you know there's a creator. And everyone knows that there's a creator. What do you know about this creation, this creator? Continues on, verse 20. His eternal power. His eternal power. Second, what can a sinner learn from general revelation? Number two, the Creator is extremely powerful. The Creator is extremely powerful. He has eternal power. Eternal power. Now, the way Paul wrote this, is he put an article before this noun, divine, the great power, eternal power, and he puts a chi in the middle and then has another noun. And when he does that, Grammatically, he is saying that those two things are connected. There is a connection between the eternal power of God and the divine nature of God. You have both of them together. You always have both of them together. You can't have one without the other. They both go together. You cannot have eternal power without the divine nature. You cannot have the divine nature without the eternal power. They go together. Natural revelation is God's eternal power and divine nature being shown. The first point here I want you to look at is the power. In creation, what we have is an example of a great power. A great power. In my Sunday school class, I gave them homework assignment to go out and make a star and have it in the sky rotating the earth before next Sunday. One of them asked if we could get, make it a group project. Because you need more power than yourself to create a star. But the God, the Creator God, created the universe. From the littlest gnat to the greatest hippo to the biggest star. Forget that, the galaxies that He's created. His eternal power is what you see through looking at creation. You see His power. His invisible attribute of power. The universe is an example of God's power. His creative power and His power to maintain creation. So it continues. Third, not only do you have 
the power of God and his invisible attributes. But third, how, what can a sinner learn from general revelation? I've already given the answer, divine nature. Divine nature. The creator is extremely gracious. Extremely gracious. His divine nature is a word that Paul uses. It's the only time in the New Testament it's used. Therefore, we, have, we can't go to another verse to see what it's like in another verse. This is the only time it's used. So therefore, we have a lot of different interpretations of how to explain this Greek term. Some think that we can explain it by using the word Godhead. Some think that divine nature or divine essence. So there are a lot of different words we try to use to describe this word, but what it is probably is most exactly talking about all the attributes of God. All the attributes of God. And I wanted to use one of all those attributes. So I picked the word gracious. Because when you look at creation, not only do you see the power of God, but you see the grace of God. You see the goodness or blessings of God from creation. All the things He does in the providence of God, He does for our blessing. <laughs> and it's His grace to us. And everyone experiences the grace of God. The good days, the warm days, the cold days, the beauty of winter, the beauty of spring. You see all this through creation. And you understand at least the graciousness of God and His divine nature. No everlasting power without divinity, no divinity without power. Both of them go together. God's divine nature of kindness and graciousness is reflected in the province of God and creation and the goodness of God. Acts 14.17, write that down. Acts 14.17 says, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. God uses nature, creation, to show his grace, his love, his kindness to everyone. So, when you study creation, you automatically see that somebody more powerful than you did the work. You see someone who is loving and kind and gracious did the work so that you would be blessed. So, if God did that, and if God showed you that, what should happen? What should happen? Now, we're going to talk about what should happen. But I want to warn you beforehand that it doesn't happen very often. But it could happen. The middle of verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. What is special about general revelation? Oh, come on now. Every once in a while there's an attempt at humor from the pulpit here, and that's one of them. What is special about general revelation? 
Usually the opposite part of general revelation is called special revelation. Uh, okay. Lost on you. Here you go. What is special about general revelation? Number one. With the study of creation, a sinner can perceive the invisible. With the study of creation, the sinner can understand the invisible. The possibility of studying creation should result in people understanding the invisible. Now, who's invisible? The person that's invisible is the one that created the universe. The invisible God, the Father. You, from your knowledge of creation, should be able to understand the invisible attributes of God. <clears throat> if you clearly see, I like that, if you clearly see the invisible, if you can have clear visions of the invisible, present passive, to look down upon, to have within view, or to perceive. The Greek term is only used here in the New Testament. Again, Paul has to pick a word that's not used commonly to explain what he's talking about. Clearly seen. You could say perceived, understand, reckon, acknowledge. The unseeable qualities are clearly perceived. God in his essence is hidden from human sight. Yet if you study creation, you can get a visible indication of who God is. Vision of the eye of reason, you could say. Paul is saying that we see certain outwardly things in creation and therefore perceive invisible things. You see invisible things. <clears throat> there was a scientist that wrote an article um, in a magazine called God and the Astronomers. He wrote this, he said this, that he lived by faith and the power of reason. But the story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains of ignorance, and he's about to conquer the highest peak, and he pulls himself up over the final rock, and he's greeted by a band of theologians who's been there for centuries. I like that. In his study of science... He climbs this mountain of ignorance and he comes to the same conclusion is that there's a creator. The same thing we say that the Bible has said for years. What happens is if you study the physical nature, physical creation, you will get a better understanding of the invisible God. Second, what will, what's special about general revelation? Okay, I thought I'd get a laugh that time. Just a sympathy laugh. Okay, fine. What is special about general revelation? With 
the special generation, the special study of generation. Oh, now we're going messed up. <laughs> Having been clearly seen, being understood through that which had been made. Second, with the study of creation, a sinner can understand the principles of God, can get a deeper understanding of the principles of God. Being understood. You can understand the invisible attributes of God. You can understand biblical principles. You can understand godly principles. You can understand more spiritual things by studying physical creation. Being understood, present tense, passive. Saying sober thoughts on the things made by God. You can have an understanding you can have an internal perception of the invisible God through the study of creation, what God has made. God has left an imprint on the entire universe that points back to himself. The fundamental assumption is that there must be a maker. Things that could not make themselves, and man obviously doesn't have the power to make. He is continually producing a good accomplishing the display of his power and goodness and grace. He does this so that the invisible can be seen and learned by us. Hebrews 11.3, write that down. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds are prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. The things we see are not made out of the things that are visible. It comes from God. God is the one who creates it so that sinners will have an understanding that there is a creator in the universe. And he is more powerful and he has grace and he loves us and allows rain to fall on the good and the evil. Third, what is special about general revelation? Okay, thank you. Being understood through which was made so that they are without excuse. Number three, with the study of creation, a sinner can be judged by the wrath of God. A sinner can be judged by the wrath of God. By studying creation. Creation, you end up coming up with the idea that there's a more powerful creator than you. That he is gracious and he loves you. And he shows that love through creation. It, you know, we can, by the way, I can go right now through a number of, of scientific explanations. You know, how the, if the earth was 1% tilted the wrong way, what that would have changed the world. Or one mile further away from the sun or closer. We can go through all that. But the thing is, creation points to God. And if you are living in this creation, you will naturally look at creation, and you, by that, will have to rebel against the knowledge that you have that there's a more powerful creator, and he's good. And you'll have to rebel against that understanding. And if you rebel against that understanding, you place yourself directly under the wrath of God. 
God revealed himself and holds all people responsible for that knowledge. Seeing the beauty and the complexity of creation carries with the responsibility of acknowledging the creator both as powerful and as living above the natural order, above us. We are without excuse. Ignorance of not knowing the truth is not an acceptable excuse when you stand before the judge of the universe. You can't say you didn't know. The word without excuse suggests a legal standpoint in a court of law. You have no defense. Because of creation, you have no defense. To rebel against God's self-revelation in creation is to incur the results of rebellion, the wrath of God. The non-believer has no defense in the court of God. The witness to God in nature is so clear and so constant that ignoring it is indefensible. You can't defend your view of rejecting creation. You're sinning against the light you have. Now, the world comes up with a number of different ways to explain creation. And what they do and how they explain the Creator and the power He has and the grace He has, they have to come up with an idea, an invention, to get away from the idea that we are held accountable for that knowledge. So, the majority of people in our world have to have a different view beyond a loving, gracious creator. So, the majority of people will not look at creation and come up with these views. They will not look for a way to get out from under the wrath of God. They will not look at creation and see the power of God. They will not look at creation and see the love of God, the grace of God. So, Paul deals with that. Next verse. Verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is the reaction that normal sinners have to the work of creation the revealing of himself, God, the creator, how is the normal way that they respond? What is the sinner's normal reaction to general revelation? Number one, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Number one, sinners fail to glorify God. Sinners fail to glorify God. In other words, when they see creation, you know, maybe it's the people on my Facebook. But when I see Facebook and somebody puts a picture of a great sunset, I always see something that goes with God. It's interesting. The non-believers on my Facebook list do not put it in a great picture of the sunset. 
Because a sinner, normal reaction is not to glorify God. When you see, I, I, you know, I, I, I give up, okay? I've been married long enough, I give up. I understand, okay? So when my wife says, stop, 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 stop the car, I understand that she saw something she wants to take a picture of. Guess what I do? I, no, no. I stop. And she gets out and takes 34 pictures of whatever it is she's looking at. Because for us, it's amazing to see whatever it is, a bird, a deer, a polar bear, an iceberg, a hole in the ground we call Great Grand Canyon, or whatever it is, we praise God. We stop, we got to stop everything and stop and praise God. But you have to understand for a sinner that it's completely not in their wiring. They will not praise God whatsoever. They will come up with a theory that the world was created from a big bang that came out of nothing and evolved into all the great things that it is today by chance. And they will come up with some reasoning so that they can explain their belief system that there is no God to glorify or to honor or to praise. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says, write it down, 3.13, but an evil man and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I wish we'd spend more time and turn there. The progress of a sinner is from bad to worse, not from worse to better. And it goes from deceiving to being deceived. That is the normal lifestyle of a non-believer. They do not honor Him as God. People who are called to recognize God through creation and honor Him and acknowledge His divine and visible attributes, we don't do it. Aristotle here is placed to recite the facts as facts. Non-believers did not ascribe due honor to God for what they knew to be His acts. A willingness to honor God as God, to revere Him, to love Him, to obey Him, would effectually restrain people from sinning. Psalm 29, verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. In other words, praise is not optional, it's required. And a believer understands that. And every time they can see part of creation showing the glory of God and the attributes of God, we stop and say, praise God. Because it's amazing that God shows His power in creation. Second, what is the sinner's normal reaction to general revelation? The middle of verse 21 Honor Him as God or give thanks. Second, sinners fail to give God thanks. 
They fail to give God thanks. They do not give Him an appreciation for the grace that comes to Him by the providence of God through creation. The rain, the snow, the water, the sunshine, the things creation does for us that we take for granted. The non-believers do not stop and praise God and thank God for it. Aorist tense, to recite the facts as facts. They ought to recognize their indebtedness to the goodness of God and the generosity of God and the grace of God and thank Him. But they don't. Unbelief is made worse by their ingratitude. God is the source of every good thing that men possess. Rain, sun, natural blessings, all of it comes to the just and unjust, Jesus said in His Sermon on the Mount. Now, The passage is talking to non-believers here. So, I want you to take that hat off and put on the believer hat real quick. Do you understand what that is saying to believers? We should be constantly praising and thanking God. Okay? I'm going to preach to the choir for a minute. I need to praise and thank God. Just like you. The problem is, is that sometimes we get too busy. And the things God does in our life, we don't thank Him for. Now, a non-believer is normal in his non-thinking of God. We as believers are to constantly be thanking Him. Now, you've been busy at church but when was the last time you thanked God? Should have been in the last hour. If you're a pastor, it should have been in the last 10 minutes. If you're an elder in the church, it should have been in the last 7 minutes. If you're a deacon, it should have been in the last 5 minutes. You see what I'm saying? If non-believers don't thank God, it should never be said of a believer that we don't thank God. We need to thank God more. We need to thank God more. Third, what is the sinner's normal reaction to a general revelation? But they became futile in their speculation. They became futile in their speculations. Third, sinners fail... To reason correctly. Sinners fail to reason correctly. Because of reasoning, the sinner uses their brain, and if they don't, if they look at creation, they don't see God, they don't see the grace of God, they don't see a reason to thank God, they become silly, if I can use that word, silly in their reasoning. And they go down a road which leads to more silliness. In their thinking. They're futile in their speculation. It means to be given over to deceptiveness, meaningless, or worthless, or foolish. Aorist tense. Fact is a fact. The basic idea is that their reasoning is pointless. If you leave God out of your reasoning, it's pointless. When, God re- when people reject God, it affects their reasoning as well as everything else in their life. They get nowhere because they do not glorify Him and thank Him. (laughs) 
glorify Him for what He really is, and thank Him for what He really does. This word, the Jews love to use this word referring to idols. Referring to idols. That idols serve no purpose. Their speculation, their reasoning, their thought process, the effect which was to lead their mind further and further from the truth. Respecting God. It goes further and further down the wrong road. Another scientist. He was an evolutionist. He said this, quote, I refuse to believe in God. I refuse to believe in God. So that other alternative, what other alternatives do I have but evolution? What other alternatives do I have but evolution? The man was honest. To have a clear testimony to the facts that's not evident for evolution leads him to disbelief in God rather than his disbelief in God leading him to embrace evolution. In other words, if you don't see God in creation, the only opportunity you have is to believe in evolution. He admitted that he believes in evolution not because of evolution, by the way, that's the main point now of scientists. They will come up with gaps in their theories, and they don't even believe their theory of evolution. But they have to believe in it because they don't believe in God. They have to go away from a divine creator God. Fourth, When is the sinner, what is the sinner's normal reaction to general revelation? And their foolish heart was darkened. Their foolish heart was darkened. Number four, the sinner fails to act correctly. The sinner fails to act correctly. They're foolish. They combine facts that don't make sense. They come up with a a solution that doesn't make sense based upon the facts. They disbelief, disbelief requires an act of rebellion against general revelation, which points to a creator who loves you. The word foolish literally means to be without understanding. To be without understanding. The heart is the center of your life. And their hearts are darkened. In the Bible, many times the heart is used talking about intelligence or reasoning. Your reason is darkened. Improper thinking becomes harder and harder to discern what truth is. That's why in our culture, we can't define what truth is. Aristotle, to recite the facts as facts. Missing the true aim. They've lost true light. They don't understand what truth is. When truth is rejected, it's hard to recognize and receive truth if you reject it. They lose sight of absolutes and standards that God has. They come up with crazy ideas. Application. Now, this is talking to believers. And believers, now we've received our second point in the gospel message. One, we talk about the wrath of God. Two, we talk about creation. Will I share with my non-believing friends the gospel message that specifically, special revelation, specifically tells the way to be redeemed by the gracious God and Savior. Will I share with my non-believing friends who believe 
in evolution, the gospel message that specifically tells the way to be redeemed by the gracious God and Savior. The God and Savior. Again, Paul's point here is the gospel message. The salvation of the lost is his point. He wants sinners to look at creation and understand there is a creator. And he has more power than we do. All of us. He has more grace, kindness, goodness than all of us. And he needs to be found out. Everybody done writing? Good. Everybody look up here. This is a good one. I saved it for last so the people who are awake would get it. Here it comes. Person asleep, not, not on pension or something. Okay. Good. Thank you, Clark. Okay. <laughs> Pastor had this point. Will God give man brains to see these things, and will man fail to exercise his will towards that God? The sorrowful answer is that both of these things are true. God will give a man brains to smelt out iron and make a hammerhead and nails. God will grow a tree and give man strength to cut it down and brains to fashion a hammer handle from its wood. Then man has the hammer and the nails. When man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hands and let man drive nails through it and place him on a cross on the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. If you begin with evolution, it will lead you down a road that gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until one day at a great white throne you're standing before God and he says you're going to experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God will last forever because the justice of God lasts forever. And you will experience the worst day of your life until the next day. And then you'll experience a worse day than the day before. And this will go on for an eternity because you looked at creation and came up with something futile or foolish in your heart and you were darkened by sin and you went further down the wrong road. If your friend believes in evolution, you need to talk to him about the goodness and grace of God in providing not just general revelation, but specific revelation of Jesus Christ and how to be saved. Let's pray. Father God, I would be, I'd ask you to be with all of us, be with all of us, with our friends this week, that we will be brave and bold enough to share your gospel message, to start with the wrath of God and go to creation and talk about how God works his grace and kindness to us, giving us a world where we can live and breathe and eat and experience the seasons by your grace and by your power. Because we can't do it. Your power is greater than we can even imagine. And that power allows even us 
to go down a sinful road and put a perfect Savior on a cross by our own sinfulness. But Father, you can take that sinful mistake and make it the way of being redeemed. And you make that way perfect so that we can be declared righteous and no longer imputed wrath upon us, but it imputed to our Savior. And we get His imputed righteousness. What, a, what an exchange. And it's a gift from You. Father, I pray that we would praise You and thank You each and every hour, each and every day, for the good things You give to us in this life. Help us, Father, never to grumble about the difficulties or the pain, but help us to be thankful and help us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because it will be powerful enough to change a sinner into a child of God. And that is what we desire. Father, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, you would work in their heart now. If somebody's listening by the website, Father, I pray that they would have a relationship with you and their sins forgiven. I pray, Father, that we would be united as a force to share the gospel message with as many people as we can this week for your glory and honor because you deserve the thanks and you deserve the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.